Welcome back. Episode two. We're already on to two. We made it to the second episode, and that is a real success. I want to start off first by saying a huge thank you to the to you, to the incredible Kraken fans out there who made episode one so special. A lot of downloads, a lot of great feedback. But I think it's important to start episode two by saying why and describing why we're doing this. Why an official Seattle Kraken podcast? Why signals from the deep? And it really is pretty simple. A lot of the guests and folks that you're going to hear on this podcast coming up and in the future are people that maybe you don't get to hear more long-form content from, where it's just a short little blurb. It's them talking, being pressed and confined with a commercial break coming up in 35 seconds. So this is a great opportunity to get some of the incredible people around the Kraken organization involved uh, to be able able to share what they see, how they see it, why they see it. And I think also to connect you with them and eliminating any sort of middleman and being able to hear it directly from their mouths and their opinions and what they think. But most of all, the hope and the goal of Signals from the Deep is to bring to life the stories of the Seattle Kraken, the stories of the people that make up this incredible organization. It's an organization of people that not only do things the right way, but an organization of, of people that do things the right way for the right reasons. And so to bring together and to bring to light their stories, I think is incredibly important. And so I'm along for the ride just as much as you are to be able to hear their stories, hear their insights, um, and really experience this and go on a journey each and every episode as far as what our great guests have to offer. So I think that was very important uh, to let you know that we're trying to do this to give you the inside scoop, to give you the behind-the-scenes look as, as far as what all these people that make up the, the Seattle Kraken organization and franchise as a whole. So this is going to be another great episode. So I would say uh, grab a comfortable seat, grab some popcorn, because we've got two incredible guests, the general manager of the Kraken, Ron Francis, and assistant general manager, Ricky Olcha. Well, what a pleasure this is. We've got some of the brain power, the main brain power of the Seattle Kraken hockey operations staff. These gentlemen do not need an introduction for everything they've done in their careers, but we're going to give them one anyway. 1,731 games played. 1,798 points. There's only been one player to ever play in the National Hockey League that has more assists than this guy, that being 1,249. He played for Hartford. He played for Pittsburgh. He played for the Carolina Hurricanes and then the Toronto Maple Leafs. Over 23 seasons, two Stanley Cups, 
Three Lady Bing trophies for the most gentlemanly conduct and sportsmanship player in the league. A Selkie trophy, and perhaps most of all, uh, 2007 induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's been described as Captain Class and someone who has flourished without an act, an attitude, or an ego. And in 2017, to cap it all, was put on the NHL's 100 Greatest Players list. Ronnie Francis, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Nick. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Our second guest, 1986, he captained the United States under-16 national team to a silver medal in the World Cup. And from 1988 to 1992, he attended Brown University for four years and was a captain of the hockey team in his senior year. 1992 academic All-Ivy team and Cornell Law School in 1996. Spent six seasons as the Edmonton Oilers assistant general manager and then went on to the Carolina Hurricanes. He is a whiz. He is a genius of the Olchek family. Uncle Ricky O. Ricky Olchek, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, great to be with you. Uh, it's good that I can balance an offset with uh, no class on this side and the Hall of Shamer <laughs> and, as opposed to the Hall of Famer and Ron Francis. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. This is going to be a fun, fun episode with both of you. Uh, but before we begin, by the time of recording this, I think there's a couple of happy birthdays that uh, are deserved to be delved out. Ronnie, back on March 1st, happy birthday to you. And yesterday, Ricky, back on uh, March 10th, thank you guys for coming on. But happy birthday to both of you as well. Did you guys do anything fun to I was fully expecting a cake today, but I don't see one on the table, <laughs> so we'll just have to proceed without one. A few more candles than on your cake than mine, I believe. Just Maybe the fire department handles <laughs> some of my cake. <laughs> so I think a perfect segue um, is just asking each of you, how did you get into doing what you do now? And, and Ronnie, I'll, I'll start with you. Obviously, I know your incredible playing career, but did you have an idea at some point in your playing career that eventually you were going to want to get into management or, or kind of doing what you do now? Yeah, I think, I think throughout my career, I always had the feeling that at some point I would, you know, when my career was done as a player transition in, I never really had the sort of the passion or desire to be a coach. So I always thought more the management was the way to go. Um, you know, my career ended in 2004 when I retired, um, Took a couple of years just to get away from the game and, and uh, you know, unwind, figure out what I wanted to do. I looked at a lot of different opportunities, a lot of different thoughts on everything from starting my own business to staying in the game. And then uh, eventually had a lunch with Jim Rutherford and we talked about, you know, getting back in and the role of being sort of player development. So I started um, doing player development and then uh, Jason Carmanos the following year took a leave off. So. Jim gave me the assistant GM title, and then uh, at one point Jim made a coaching change and asked me to go on the bench, so I was on the bench. Um, I believe an associate head coach with Paul Maurice for about two and a half years there, and then went back upstairs into the assistant GM role. Um, did you know basically all of those from about 2006 to about 2014, mm -hmm. wearing a lot of different hats, and then uh, Jim was deciding to move up to president and uh, you know offered me the opportunity to be the GM there. Kind of that's how I got started. Yeah, and Ricky. It's uh, as you know uh, from my background, uh, Nick. Uh, I've always wanted to uh, work on the management side and combine my two loves and passions, and that being the law and uh, hockey. 
And uh, as I went through the, my educational career, I always tried to combine both uh, in some way, shape or, shape or form uh, in the classroom, outside the classroom, and then on the ice. And there's many a different paths to get to, uh, to where I've been very blessed and honored um, to be working the National Hockey League first and foremost, but to be in this position. Certainly a lot of different avenues to take. And um, you know, working at, uh, as an attorney, uh, practicing full time, little side uh, to bring in revenue for the firm, uh, advising clients and people in sports, trying to help them with their contracts, uh, if you will, an agent, uh, advisor type, and then uh, worked at the Players Association, but always with the goal in mind to uh, work on the management side and um, networking along the way. And eventually, uh, Kevin Lowe was uh, gracious enough to offer me a position and take a chance with me and um, learned a lot under his... Uh, stewardship and eventually then uh, have the honor and privilege of be working alongside Ron for uh, this is our eighth year together so I've uh, fooled them that long um, but it's uh, certainly been a great journey and uh, continue to be on this odyssey uh, as we move towards uh, here in Seattle. And Ricky how about your earliest memories of getting into hockey? Obviously I know we come from a hockey family but like when you think about hockey and playing in your life what are what are some of the early memories that you have that was like, okay, I love it and I want to take this as far as I can? Well, um, you know, your father uh, brought a, a flyer home from school and um, learned to skate. And uh, the great uh, Mrs. O uh, ended up taking him down to the, to the rink and for learn to skate. And he's the usual push in the chair. And as he's out on the ice, his uh, feet are hurting him uh, very badly, and so he goes over to the glass, and he's crying. He's got tears in his eyes, and that's true. He had definitely had tears in his <laughs> eyes. Let, let him tell you differently. And uh, he's pounding on the glass, and he wants to come off, and uh, Mrs. O is saying, hey, look, we work hard for our money. I pay for these lessons. You, you're going to get back out there, um, So which ended up being a pretty good thing because had she not, who knows if we'd ever be in this spot um, where we're all at, and hockey has a big in our lives. Um, and just and I and then I followed suit and I took up the, to the sport as well, skating and then playing hockey and it's just something that's so appealing: the physicality, the speed, the skill um, that I see everybody else has. I certainly didn't have it. Check out the records in college, but I digress. Um, but it's such a great game and it brings so much and it's been so uh, very endearing to our family and very blessed to be a part of it. Yeah, Ron. Crime part two or no, he didn't do that part. He didn't copy. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I embraced it. No, no tears. Yeah. No, mine, I, you know, I don't remember this story, but my mom tells that uh, she had a friend, Elsie Joya, who had a son that was my age, Michael, and then a, another son that was a year older, Ricky. Um, and Elsie was going to register Rich, Ricky to play uh, hockey. He was four, I think, at the time, and Michael and I were three. And the gentleman said to uh, my mom and Elsie, like, you know, we're too short. What about the other two? And uh, they kind of looked at each other and they were like, okay. So they signed us up. I was three years old. I was signed up to play hockey. And uh, my dad came home from the steel plant. He worked there at shift work. My mom told her what she did and he thought she was crazy. But, um, you know, that's kind of how I started. You know, probably my earliest memory, it sounds crazy, but there used to be an old rink in the Sioux called the Memorial Gardens. And in the very back park, they had a little chunk of ice and, and it later became like their uh, their lunchroom or club area and stuff but I remember playing some hockey on that little sort of small it was like a room basically that they'd put ice in and and doing that as a kid and I just always loved it grew up playing 
you know, not only uh, in leagues in the Sioux, but, uh, you know, you get about 150 inches of snow every winter up there. So you start to learn how to play out outdoors. My dad made a rink in the backyard and skated. And that progressed. Uh, even when I was in high school, one of, probably one of the greatest things was a gentleman by the name of Mike Zook. Um, his son, uh, Mike Zook Jr., played in the NHL for a while. Um, St. Louis, Hartford, just to name a few teams. But um, Mike was a former, <clears throat> was a mailman and, and uh, lived in Bayview, section of Sault Ste. Marie in the wintertime, he would turn basically his garden into a hockey rink. And it was about the size of uh, maybe from the blue line to the end boards, um, had netting all around, had lighting, had a, had a had a structure outside with a Franklin stove that, you know, that's where you would go in to sort of heat up and change. And <laughs> I couldn't wait in high school. I'd come home, get my homework done, have dinner, be down there about seven o'clock at night. And most nights skated outdoors till probably about 11, 1130 on the wow. weekends. We were probably there till one. And I think that's where you really hone a lot of your skins. You're playing th- skills, right? You're playing three on three with a little rubber ball and, and uh, managing that. So, um, unfortunately for me, got the, you know, turn pro at 18 and hang around for 23 years. So it was good. And you talk about the passion for the game, uh, obviously knowing some of the in- <clears throat> most incredible people in the game of hockey that makes it the greatest sport that it is. Is there anybody along the way, Ron, that impacted you gave you some advice, uh, helped push you when maybe you were at a crossroads or someone that you look back in your career and go, you know, that person had a profound impact on me, whether it's a family member or a coach or a teammate or someone that at some point kind of said something to you that stuck and kind of helped you keep going and get into where you are. Yeah, I mean, there's a long list of people that help you, I think, um, get to where you want to get to. Um, you know, I remember as a, as a young kid sitting at the kitchen table with my dad and kind of, you know, with a hockey rink kind of in front of us and explaining, you know, the shortest distance, point A and point B is a straight line and, mm-hmm. you know, don't go where the puck is, go where you think it's going to go to, stuff like that. You know, growing up, you had coaches. Um, you know, Mike Zook, the gentleman I just talked about, coached me two years in Bantam, made the game so much fun to play. Uh, you know, Don Carrillo is my midget coach. Terry Chris, my junior coach. Um, I was fortunate uh, my first year in the NHL. Uh, Greg and Ann Millen let me live with them. Dave Keon was my roommate. Um, you know, all these people had a big impact on, on you know, sort of helping my career along the way. Um, I don't know if I ever needed a, a sort of a kick. I always loved playing the game, and, and um, I probably don't come across that way, but I am extremely competitive. Um, <laughs> Just ask my wife and any board games we play as a family back <laughs> home or anything like that. But um, that's just my nature. I, I hate to lose and I'm competitive. So I, I, from that standpoint, it wasn't. Uh, another gentleman was probably significant help was a guy by the name of John Buchanan, who, uh, you know, I was about 14, 15, and he took about 12 of us and started training us in the basement of his house. Um, you know, we would run three days a week. We would lift weights three days a week. And John was a former bodybuilder but also a level five hockey coach in Canada. So he combined his knowledge of the game and his knowledge of weights to sort of shape um, a program for us us young guys. And, um, you know, I look back on He was so far ahead of his yeah. time and what he was doing and a lot of stuff that, you know, still continues to be done today we were doing back at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, another another big impact on somebody that sort of influenced my career. Yeah. Ricky, someone you look back on or people in general that – kind of has had a great impact on your career and your life? Well, certainly uh, I'll utter the same words Ron did, and, you know, there's a long list. Uh, but certainly first and foremost is uh, my parents. My mom and dad, obviously, are there uh, 
two biggest fans and uh, biggest supporters um, and encouraged us to follow and pursue our dreams and uh, nothing but their great guidance. Um, you know, outside the family, uh, in particular, from my legal standpoint, my academic career, uh, the, the great Don Kempf, the uh, famous attorney in Chicago for a long time, was my mentor and sage uh, uh, in the direction of leading me in the, in the legal path. Um, and in hockey, just again, I've just been blessed with a number of uh, fa fantastic coaches, uh, Bobby Goddard at Brown and others along the way that just, um, that just encouraged me to, you know, again, follow those dreams. Um, again, um, utilize the skills and the talents that God's given you. And then just, uh, you know, follow that passion. And I'm a driven individual, uh, just as competitive and, um, you know, and, and work ethic is uh, something that I take great pride in. And uh, it's just been very fortunate and blessed to be a part and be exposed to and be surrounded by such good people to want to give and not looking for anything in return. So yeah. it's very fortunate. Yeah. And something that a lot of you might not know is that prior to the Kraken, Ron and Ricky spent time together in management, Ricky being assistant general manager and Ron being the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes for quite some time. I want to ask both of you and Whoever is the first to jump in, feel free. I, don't, I just want to direct this question right down the middle. How did this relationship come to be between the both of you to where you have such a great working relationship, such a great friendship to be able to be in Carolina, have great success, and then come here and want to work together again? Yeah, I mean, ironically, it's probably uh, through a, a third party, that being your dad, uh, Eddie. <laughs> You know, Eddie and I were, were teammates, uh, line mates, uh, you know, seat mates on a lot of the charters um, and built a great friendship over the years. And then, you know, when I finally got the opportunity to be the GM in, in Carolina, um, you know, there was a couple other guys, Brian Tatum and, and Mike Felucci, that were, were uh, in assistant GM roles. Um, and I talked to Mr. Carmanos, uh, P. Carmanos at the time, and asked about you know, could I bring somebody like Ricky and his contract had just ended in, um, in Edmonton. And, um, I just thought with his expertise in the CBA and the cap and all that kind of stuff would be a valuable addition to our staff and somebody that would be very helpful for me as I'm starting out and, and my, uh, my venture first time being a GM. So, um, he agreed, um, you know, I talked to Edmonton, his contract was winding down and then, uh, Talked to Ricky, and uh, he was willing to come on board with us, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah, was it a pretty easy decision, Ricky, or uh, when he reached out? When Moran reached out, uh, you know, certainly knowing that uh, you know your dad uh, played with Eddie and or with Ron, and um, my time was uh, ending in, in Edmonton and left on great terms, and it was just um, I was looking for a different change, and um, you know, knowing Ron's background and who he is as a person. Well, which certainly, I mean, I was blessed to be around, uh, you know, fine human beings, uh, just tremendous people. They're very good uh, in what they do in the hockey world, and that is Steve Tambellini and, and Kevin Lowe. Um, but certainly, uh, they're even better people. And um, to have someone with the resume that Ron possesses, um, but more importantly, in which I've say to this day, and Ron's just uh, one of the you know best people you want to meet. Period. Uh, has nothing to do with hockey. Just a fine human being. Um, so I'm very blessed to be a part and, uh, of that and being around him, learning a lot from him uh, on and off the ice. 
Um, and it's just been, uh, it's been a lot of fun and I'm just, again, very privileged and honored to be, uh, working alongside him in Seattle. Yeah. And the friendship you guys share is, is pretty obvious when we walked in here joking around and it's like that every day and that's, and that's important. <laughs> and the jokes uh, well, are at my <laughs> expense most of the time, but, uh, <laughs> but why, why is it that you think you guys work so well together? And then I did want to branch off and, and, and ask each of you. What do you think the other does so well um, to be able to be in your position and have great success? Um, because you guys have been at this for a while and you've been at the most elite levels for a long time. So uh, maybe start with Ricky. Like, what do you think as a team you and Ron do so well? And obviously, of course, the great uh, rest of the staff too. Um, but you know, putting a focus on, on both of you having with your history together and then what that makes Ron such a, such a great general manager? I think, again, there's a number of fine qualities Ron possesses. Um, you know, first and foremost, he's a class act. Um, I refer to him as the, uh, some of our folks may not know who uh, this gentleman was, but uh, the great John Bellevue. That's uh, John, uh, Ron reminds me of the John, John Bellevue of today in terms of how he conducts himself um, off the ice, certainly. Um, he's a class act. He um, treats everybody with uh, uttermost, utmost respect. He allows everyone to have a voice. He listens. Uh, that's why God gave us two ears and, and one mouth, so you can listen twice as much. And Ron, Ron truly takes that to heart. Um, he's a critical thinker. He analyzes things. He brings everybody uh, together as a team. Um, and it's always the team first concept. And that's why he's had success and will continue to have success. And um, I'm just trying to contribute in any way I can yeah. to help him. Yeah, for me, you know, I think I, I probably learned a valuable lesson. I got traded from Hartford to Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Craig Patrick was the GM at the time. Um, and I'm looking around the room and Bob Johnson, who's, you know, a guy with a great reputation and, and very knowledgeable as the head coach, Scotty Bowman is part of the staff. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this is, Craig's obviously comfortable in who he is bringing in these kind of people, right? And that's kind of always been been my MO. Um, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want guys in the room that are smarter than me. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, um, I, I want to listen to him. I, I, I'm comfortable in who I am that, that he, I think it's important to hire good people and, and listen to what they have to say and, and give them a voice. I mean, they're working hard to have those uh, discussions and opinions. You may not always agree. You might go in a different direction, but at least you're getting that knowledge. And certainly Ricky fits into that mold. And you heard his background, not one, but two Ivy League schools, a law degree from Cornell, spend time with the union, spend time in the league, um, knows the CBA inside out, um, you know, can manage the cap, can evaluate players. There's a lot of things you like. And, and what he brings to the table. And, um, you know, it's not always, um, you know, fun every day. <laughs> but, you know, I think we, uh, I think we, we, you know, we grind through the tough times and, and we enjoy the good times. And at the end of the day, uh, those are the kind of people you want to work with. Yeah. Ron, you, you started putting your staff together two years before the Kraken were really even a team. How important was that time for you to kind of build out your staff 
and some things that you were looking for at that time, aside from just trying to bring in the smartest people or the people that would be able to, you know, you think would be a good fit. But how important was that time for you? And what were some of the things you were looking for in the people that you wanted to bring in? Well, you know, it was an interesting time. First, we started putting things together. Um, you know, Alexandra Mendrick, he was actually hired before me. She helped him in the search for the GM. And then when I got the job, we talked to Alex and, I guess I didn't scare off because she decided to hang around with us, which was good. And then, you know, went and hired Ricky and kind of went from there. Um, you know, the one thing that's beautiful about building a franchise from the ground up is you get to pick the people you want to work with. Um, you know, we tried to get people that we felt were not only really good at what they did, um, but were good people. Um, you know, this is not about an individual's ego. Uh, this is about doing what we have to do to make the Seattle crack in the best possible team and franchise that we can. And that's what we try and accomplish uh, each and every day. Um, none of us saw the, the COVID pandemic coming. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was interesting not being able to travel to meet people uh, and sit across the table and look them in the eye and have those discussions. We, we end up doing a lot of our interviews, a lot of our hires via Zoom. Um, which was uh, at the time a totally new world to somebody of my age and, <laughs> and, and technical skills. But, um, you know, you learn to do that and you learn to adapt and, and go through that process. And, um, you know, that's what we tried to accomplish. And, and uh, you know, I don't think our amateur staff got together until like, uh, you know, like last June, I think was the first time mm -hmm. we actually sat in the room together face to face, uh, everybody and kind of had discussions. So, um, it's been an interesting process, but, um, you know, couldn't be prouder of the people that we have on board and, and, uh, how hard they work and what they're bringing to the table. And, uh, you know, it's great to see a lot more smiles this year than we had in the first year. And, yeah. and hopefully we can continue moving in the right direction going forward. And Ricky, when you look at last season compared to this year, um, on the ice, off the ice, everything. What do you think the biggest difference is for the team and the organization as a whole, considering going through the pandemic year, not being able to be together as much as, as everyone would like? Taking into consideration all of that, is there one thing or a couple of big things that you can look back on and go, okay, this is much different this year that has helped us get to where we are as far as the organization and a team goes? I think you kind of answered that as well. I think it's certainly first and foremost that the COVID is over. Uh, it was very challenging for us as an organization. Again, um, you know, the culture that Ron wants to institute and, and continue to build upon, um, you know, was about team building and about getting together. I mean, we had to be the Grim Reapers and you know, players were last year were wanting to get together for Christmas parties or different events throughout the season. And we'd have to go down to the, to the locker room and say, no, we had to put the kibosh on it. You know, and that was also with the wise or the family. So I think just being together, getting to know one another. I mean, again, as Ron indicated, we were hiring people through Zoom and it was, we have a lot of newer group. We had done our due diligence and uh, research on a lot of folks and, but we had never really spent any time with uh, some of these people. And then, uh, and that applies down to the uh, to the to the players and the coaching staff getting to know one another, build those relationships. It takes time, and you can see that. And I think that's what some of the results are uh, from stem from that. So it t takes time, but we're we're working towards that. And um, I think the guys are the players. That is, they're feeling more comfortable with the system that Hacks, uh, Coach Hackstall's implementing, and. Um, 
you know, and it's, it, we're seeing the results. So I think it's just more of a comfort level of getting to know one another, building those relationships, um, feeling good about one another and, and some of the, uh, you know, acquisitions that we've added to our team uh, as we continue uh, on our plan, uh, you know, to make the playoffs and have sustainability moving forward. You talk about additions. Um, I did want to talk about bringing in Ellie Tolvanen and the decision to do that, but even more so kind of a, a hockey 101. Like, how does waivers work? I think that that's something that uh, we hear a lot about, waivers, waivers. Like, when you hear that a player gets put on waivers, Riccio, obviously you do your due diligence, but what is that process like and what decisions were made to say, okay, we want to go after Ellie Tolvanen and, and, and bring him in? Well, I think, you know, anytime uh, somebody's put on waivers, you have a process internally. Um, you know, um, all the assistant GMs look at it. So, so Ricky looks at it. Jason Botter looks at it. Alexander Mandricki looks at it. Dave Besiege, our director of pro scouting, looks at it. You know, his staff. Um, it goes to everybody so they have it. And if somebody has a, a feeling one way or the other, you know, then they reach out and say, hey, this is somebody we should look at and stuff. Um, you know, I'll be honest, we had, we had a lot of discussions. Um, I was probably teetering um, a little bit at the end. Uh, but, you know, my staff was the one that was kind of saying, hey, this is really something we need to look at doing. And it's, uh, you know, the risk is really minimal uh, with the potential of, you know, the, the bigger upside. So at the end of the day, we made the decision to go ahead and put a claim in. Um, you know, nobody else put a claim in that uh, ahead of us, which allowed us to get him. And then... Uh, you know, he becomes our property. Um, you know, why other people didn't do it? Maybe because he had a second year of the contract. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you go back on <clears throat> kind of things you remember seeing. And, and one thing when I was in Carolina was scouting the, uh, the Kerala Cup in Finland in November. And, and Eli Tovenen was a, a player for the Finnish team. And he was on the flank on the power play. And he was bombing one-timers that were either going in or off the crossbar mm -hmm. and into the stand. So, I mean, he... You could see they had the shot for whatever reason wasn't working out in 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 Nashville, but uh, you know he's had that opportunity with us, and he's and he's delivered not only with the the shot aspect, but just he's a very smart player and in, in, in all three zones and and what he does. So um, at the end of the day, I mean that's it goes back to what I said earlier: you hire good people, and and uh, you know more so than myself, they were the ones pushing to do this, and and uh, you know I'm glad that uh, they did, and I'm glad that we got them. And Ricky, in particular, as far as the waivers process, Ron talked about putting in a claim. Could you kind of enlighten us as far as what that means or what that process is like, what the claim is? Do you got to have it in by a certain time? Other teams competing for the same player? Should that be a situation that you, know, you have to go through when talking about waivers? Well, certainly it's, it's a process that's been implemented by the league. Uh, historically, uh, teams used to uh, essentially – place players in the background and just keep taking on and, and compiling players uh, for their own needs. Um, and it would, there was a lack of uh, competitive balance and fairness. So the league inserted uh, this system, which allows teams then to uh, claim players that can help their team uh, immediately, uh, as opposed to just uh, teams uh, hoarding players. And so what the process is, once a player is uh, placed on waivers, there's a 24-hour window where all the teams uh, can place a claim, make a claim for the player that's being exposed, 
and it's the, uh, it goes by a point system, and the least amount of points has preference over the teams that are ahead of them in the standings. And so, and as Ron indicated, I, we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, uh, claim and be awarded um, Tovenin at that time. And so there's a 24-hour window, and then once that expires, if no team places a claim on such player, such player then will be, uh, the team then has a decision. They don't have to loan that player immediately, um, but they have the opportunity then when they choose to do so to loan that player, sign that player to the minor leagues, to the AHL American Hockey League. So that's the process. And then there's also a, a fee, a, a, a waiver claim fee that's awarded, and that's essentially based on the player's experience and uh, age. Mm -hmm. Interesting. A lot of inner workings. It's pretty complicated stuff. Uh, looking to the roster now uh, in particular, I, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on two players in particular. Uh, Jared McCann, who goal scoring aside has taken his game to another level, I think, this year. When you talk about being trusted to play power play minutes, come up with some big goals, but also be a fixture now on the on the penalty kill, and it seems like him and Yanni Gord have a two on one every game. Well, shorthanded uh, at least the games that I've been watching, and then Maddie Beniers, who is having an incredible rookie season. Um, so, would love to get one of your guys' thoughts on on Jared and and then Maddie, just in terms of the uh, the, the evolution of his game. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Jared, I remember seeing he's a former uh, Sioux Greyhound, which is uh, the junior team in my hometown. Uh, I remember being up there in the playoffs and talking to him. He was out at the time but uh, with an injury, but kind of watched his career, um, <clears throat> liked the speed in his game, liked the shot he possesses. Uh, you know, he had a real good year for us last year. I just think he felt comfortable uh, in, in, in what we were doing as an organization and his ability, and then, you know, fortunately agreed to, uh, you know, sign back with us. We were able to get that done uh, last season, a five-year extension, and he just picked up where he left off. And uh, pretty astute observation for me. I think it's really taken another level once, uh, you know, Hack and the coaching staff gave him the opportunity to be on the PK. Um, you know, I think it keeps you more involved in the game, keeps you fresh, you know, your, your legs kind of moving and stuff. And, and, He's accepted that challenge. He's really responded to it, and, and he become he's now becoming a threat on the PK, which is great. So, um, you know, his game is uh, is continued to get better, and and uh, we still think he can even improve more. But uh, great to see him having that kind of success. Um, you know, Maddie, the first ever draft pick for the organization. Um, I think we tend to forget just you know he's still a young kid. Um, you know, the player we see today is not the player we're going to see in three years. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get heavier. Um, you know, when you look at a, at a kid who comes out of college, you know, on average, they're probably playing somewhere between 30 and 40 hockey games a year. They're only playing on, for the most part, Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and all of a sudden now here you come to the NHL and you could be playing three or four games a week. You're traveling you know, three different time zones. Uh, you're playing back-to-back -back nights and, and three and four and five and eight. And um, and it's a grind. 82 games is a long season. So there's a lot of things, uh, you know, that I think Maddie is still adjusting to, but uh, we're really excited to have him as part of our organization. He's not only a terrific hockey player, he's just a terrific kid and, uh, you know, great leader in that room. Even though he's he's young, he, he fits in with his personality with, 
with everybody in that room, and uh, we think he's got a, a bright, bright future with the organization moving forward. You speak about the character and how important that is in players in general, but especially young players. When you think about that for young players that you want to sign out of college or the draft, how important is that, the character um, in players that you want to bring to the Kraken, understanding the culture and the team that you're trying to build here? It's uh, it's top priority for us. Um, you know, we talk about our staff. I mentioned Ricky, Jason Botto, and I work together with Team Canada. Jason experience as a GM. Alexandra Mandricki, you know, uh, started in the analytics side and worked her way up to being assistant GM. Uh, Dave Basijo, who we hired, former coach, uh, a lot of experience as an NHL scout, is now our director there. Robert Cron, former NHL player, worked with Ricky and I in Carolina, is now our director of amateur scouting. You know, we brought on, uh, you know, Ricky mentioned Steve Tambolini, we brought on his son Jeff Tambolini to go oversee our player development area. You know, in all of our hires, we're looking with people with character. That message gets sent out to our entire organization, our pro scouts, our amateur scouts, our R&D team. Um, we're looking not only for great players, but great people. And um, the message has been uh, clearly delivered that if, you know, if we're doing our due diligence and we're not comfortable with somebody, we will take them off our list, whether that was in the expansion draft, whether that was in the amateur list. Uh, and we'll do that you know, year after year because we think character is important to have in your locker room and your organization. Ricky, this year, um, without trying to put you on the spot too much, is there a game that stands out to you where you can look back and go, like, that is a game where we knew we kind of got something here? And I know you guys like the team, of course, but there always seems to be, throughout the course of a successful season, a game or a couple of games where you think back or look back to and go, like, we, we know we've got something special here. Or even aside from that, just something that within the team that they're doing on another level this year to have more success than than, than was the case last year? I think there's a couple of things with that. I think one with the the moves, the acquisition of players over the last, you know, seven, eight months. Um, people tend to forget that we've added a number of players, you know, with the trade, line, trade deadline just mm -hmm. passing a week ago Friday that we've added a number of players, eight players actually. Um, you know, was, uh, last year you had uh, Schwarto and uh, Tanev that were hurt most of the year. They're back in the lineup. Uh, we were just uh, talked about Matty Beneers. Matty Beneers only played 10 games last year, mm -hmm. essentially a new player. And we end up signing Jonesy and signing Schultz and signing Barakowski. And then we make the trade for Bjorkstrand. And then we, as we talked about Toivonen on a, on a waiver claim, and then we uh, pick up Megna on a, a, as well as on an additional trade. So we've added a number of different players with character uh, that have added, joined our organization. I think you mentioned a couple of games. Uh, two of the games for me uh, that kind of stand out. Um, we've never allowed ourselves to go into a deep uh, losing streak, uh, which is important. So, for example, when we played Chicago, our hometown, mm -hmm. and uh, had a lead, relinquished that, they ended up getting the lead, and then we lose it late in the third. That was a very deflating game for the team, um, where Chicago was at the time, where we were at the time. And then we came back, flew back to, and that was after, that was a road trip, and we had just beaten uh, one of the top teams in the Western Conference of the National Hockey League in the Colorado Avalanche in Colorado. 
and then lost to Chicago. So we fly back, and we're playing on Tuesday night. Always tough to come back after a long road trip. And we're playing Buffalo Sabres. And the Buffalo Sabres at that time were having a tremendous season. They were scoring a lot of goals, had a lot of mojo behind them. And we ended up, how were we going to respond and react? And we ended up winning that game. So to me, that was a significant, even though it was early in the season, it was a significant sign to myself and I think to our organization that we weren't going to allow it to deflate us and, and uh, say that this is the type of team that we had. And then speaking of the aforementioned uh, Colorado Avalanche, that um, you know, coming back in, that, in such a great fashion, what a great hockey game that was, playoff atmosphere. Dallas had just lo- or, uh, Avalanche had just lost the night prior, or the afternoon prior to the Dallas Stars. And um, come back and score a, a late, uh, exciting goal. Tanev scores there, finds a little soft area, gets the pass and scores. And then we went in, in overtime where the Avalanche never touched it, they never touched the puck. And, yeah. and so I think those kind of those two games kind of stand out yeah. when you ask the question, come first, come to mind, to show that what kind of team we're made up of, the type yeah. of character that's in that locker room. Uh, so, you know, starts with our leaders, you know, and Adam Larson and Jordan Eberle. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been really good. Wenberg. So we have a lot of class Schwartz, a lot of guys, a lot of leaders uh, that have won, Yanni Gord. Um, and I think it's just, it's in, in, it's infectious. And, uh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of upside for this team moving forward. Yeah. Ron, any games that kind of stand out to you this year? Yeah. You know, I, I think when we looked at the big picture, um, you know, people were probably tired of me saying it last year, but you know, the season didn't go as well as we wanted. Um, but we had 19 one goal game losses. We had another seven games that were one goal game losses that became two with an empty net goal. So 26 games, 56 possible points that we were right there on. We couldn't get over the hump. And as Ricky mentioned, we made some changes this summer. The the thought process behind it was being able to handle the puck a little bit more, uh, score a little bit more, and maybe in those one-goal games we find a way to win them. Um, I liked what I saw early. Um, for me, probably, you know, what, what you're looking for also on the management side is not – what you see and what you believe, but kind of reading your team in your locker room. And, um, you know, I, I went to the World Juniors in Halifax. Uh, I left on the first, the day we played the Islanders, we won that game. Then we went into Edmonton, won that game. Uh, we went into Toronto, won that game. I was scheduled to come back from Halifax at the end of the tournament. I was worried maybe I should stay awake because they were going well. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I flew into Ottawa. They won that game. Uh, two nights later, one in Montreal. The next night, a tough back-to-back with Buffalo. Won that. Went into Boston, who you know have been unbelievable this year and, and terrific at home, and and played a great game there. And, and I think it was the first regulation def- defeat yes. for them, and, and the first time they were shut out at home. Um, and then it's easy to kind of sit back there and say, "Hey, we're pretty good." But they went into Chicago. I think two nights later and won that one. So I think at that point, you see the team starting to believe, right? And that's. From a management standpoint, that's what you want to see. You want to see them believing, hey, we got a chance. We're a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chemistry in the room, um, you know, it's not about me scoring a goal or me, you know, getting an assist. It's about us. And if you score the goal or Ricky scores the goal or I score the goal, everybody is just as excited. Um, and we have to win by committee. We don't have the superstars that can sort of single-handedly win a game for us. And, and when you do that, you know, you get 10-plus guys uh, with, with, with 10 goals and, and uh, the most, uh, most guys in the league with 20-plus uh, points. Um, that's been our success, and it's great to see. And, and Ricky brought up the um, importance of 
bouncing back and the leadership in the dressing room. Uh, Ron, is that just over time in your career and in your playing days and the, and the teams that you've been on, is that something that takes time to grow um, when the players start to see the success that they're having, the belief in the group? Um, is that something that takes time and then there's kind of a moment where it's like an almost an epiphany. It's like, yeah, we can do this. And obviously I know the importance of having leaders in your dressing room, guys that have been around the block, guys that have been through it in their careers. Is there, at least in your eyes, um, kind of a moment where guys go, okay, we can do something special here, or is it just kind of something that's more grown over time? Well, you know, we've talked earlier about the character aspect, and I think that's so critical. Um, <clears throat> it would have been easy last year, as tough of the season as we had, for that to go south in a hurry. Um, I, you know, the thing I was probably more proud of our guys last year is they never quit. Uh, we moved uh, six players at the deadline last year with 19 games less left, and I was honestly worried we go in 19. We went 9 and 10 and probably could have went 12 and 7. We kept playing hard. We kept battling, which was good to see. This year, from the start, they've done the same thing. I mean, the other night's a good example. We lost that hockey game, but we're down 3 nothing early. And if we don't have character and belief in that locker room, we lose that game 6-1, 7-1. But our guys kept fighting back. They found a way to to tie it up. Obviously disappointing when you get the lead, and especially with it tied with two and a half minutes ago that you don't get a point out of the game. But, you know, that belief that they can still come back and score and win hockey games, that belief in each other, um, you know, I think that stems from that character in the locker room. And, um, you know, you said to win hockey games, it's sort of everybody – understanding what their role is, willing to do that role. And it's not always the glamorous role. Some guys, you know, you're asked to block shots and play physical. That's not the most glamorous thing. You don't get on the score sheet every night. But if guys are willing to do that, then that gives your team uh, a a chance to be successful when everybody wants to buy in and and puts the the betterment of the team first and their individual goals. Ron Francis, Ricky Olchek, uh, any last parting jabs or jokes you want to make to one another? I'll give both of you the floor. Well, well, I must correct Ron Francis. I don't I certainly don't like to do this at all, but I have to, for the record, again, you're dealing with an attorney, so I deal in facts. And uh, your hypothetical was if I score a goal, certainly that is a major hypothetical. <laughs> it can never happen that I can score a goal. So, <laughs> Speechless. I'm, I'm speechless. Without speech. I was going to talk about the wise advice you got in college from your college coach when he said, don't go over the red line. But I'll leave, I'll leave that for another podcast. So. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. I know you guys are un- unbelievably busy. Um, and on behalf of the organization and the fans who I have the honor of, of interacting with consistently, everybody has been so thrilled this year and, and knowing that you, Ron, and you, Ricky, and, of course, your great staff have, have been behind this this incredible year. So we're all rooting. We're all uh, pulling the rope the same way. But, again, thanks for your time for coming on. We appreciate that. That's one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was our fan base because they've been, been outstanding. Uh, even last year, their support all season long was great. Um, it's great to see them getting rewarded with a few more wins this year and a little more excitement. And, as I said, it's great to see our guys smiling and enjoying this as well. So, um, you know, we're going to keep pushing as hard as we can to, to get into the playoffs and, and go as far as we can, hopefully you know, win a cup at one point and, and let them be along for that ride because there's no doubt in my mind this is uh, an incredible sports town and yeah. we'd like to get them uh, even more excited about hockey. Awesome. Episode two, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, everybody. 
Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken, hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode.